Hi, my name is Lydia. And I'm Emma. And we're the hosts of Holy Ship. We are passionate about creating a space for women to talk about sexuality, their bodies, and all things relationships. We think that for so long, Christian spheres have often failed to address these topics with women in a healthy, shame-free, and open way. So welcome to Holy Ship, where we address all the taboo topics in a way that is honoring to you, your relationships, and God. Hey guys, welcome back to the Holy Ship Podcast. Today we are so excited. We have Carly Palmer Webb here today to join us on our Sex 2.0 season. Carly Palmer Webb is a gender and sexuality researcher, entrepreneur, enthusiastic Jesus lover, and the Christian sex educator. Carly is originally from middle of nowhere, Idaho, but now lives in Vermont with her husband, Dallin, and their cat, Maple. Ah, so do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and yeah, just what you do? Sure. So I, like I said, I'm from Idaho. I grew up in, well, I guess like you said, I'm from (laughs) Idaho. I grew up in an awesome family, very religious, very conservative, but in a really beautiful and mostly very healthy way. Um, I have incredible parents who are just as good as they come. And the only thing (laughs) that I would really say they struggled with as parents was sex ed. (laughs) So, and they, we talk about it all the time now. It's a little bit funny that I ended up in this field, but we just never talked about sex or anything related to sex in our home. And so when I went to college and started dating more seriously and stuff, I just was curious and felt like I knew nothing. And I felt like I should know something, even though I had decided at a young age that I was going to wait until marriage to have sex. I still felt like I should know more than I did. But when I started to search for resources from Christians, because I wanted it from people who valued the same things as me, I had a really difficult time finding things, especially for single Christians. And I didn't get married till I was 28. So it was a while. And so I just kind of decided to be the sex educator that I wished I would have had. And now, thankfully, there's so many more of us. You two are doing the same kind of work. And I think it's great that there's so many more of us doing it now than there were even just five, 10 years ago. So that's kind of how I ended up in this um field. And I ended up going to, well, I did a bachelor's degree in developmental psychology and then a master's degree in marriage, family and developmental psychology and focused all my research on healthy sexual relationships and well, also avoiding unhealthy sexual relationships. And now I just try to teach all the people who need it just like I did when I was younger. That's so awesome. I love that. That Um, awesome. I guess I'm curious, what like was your faith background? Did you grow up like, or what denomination or? Yeah. So I'm a member of the LDS church. It's a long name. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. (laughs) And, and that's like the faith of my family from, from when I was born. That's the faith group that I participated in. And it has, um, like most Christian denominations, there are very strict like dating and sex rules taught from an early age so I was taught a lot of the you know no don't do this don't do this Mm -hmm. don't do this (laughs) but not a lot of the what healthy sexual development Mm -hmm. and sexual relationships look like 
Yeah. That's a similar story to us too. And like why we started this podcast. So yeah. And I'm so glad that you did because it's so needed. Yeah. I feel like I relate to your story a lot too, because, oh my gosh, I love my parents. We were, um, my dad is also a priest. So I grew up in the church and, you know, like my whole life was surrounded by church parishioners and Bible studies and youth groups and all that great stuff. But we just, like, it was just not a topic of conversation. And it's not like I resented that or like had burning questions, but it was almost like life came at me. And then when some of these things were brought to me, especially when I was like out for college and um, in my you know young career, it was like, okay, wait, what? <laughs> like what now? <laughs> and it wasn't until I met Lydia where I like, you know, I, I trust her so much and um, we're such great friends where I was like, is this like, okay, like, is this in the Bible? Like, what's going on? Like, no one ever talked to me about this. And so, yeah, it's just been such a great time um, talking about our different experiences. And yeah, it's definitely a conversation that's needed. And I feel like a lot of girls, especially in the Christian community, um, are faced with these questions and then have to go outside and look for answers. And they don't always go back to the parents or back to the yeah, inner circle. Yeah, definitely. Cause they don't feel safe doing yeah. so, or they're too nervous. Mm-hmm. Right. I definitely think that the nervous thing is, is good to hit on. Cause it's not always like, Oh, I'll be shamed. But if something hasn't been talked about, it's like, how do you start that conversation? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and am I allowed to like, is this right. something that I'm, that I'm supposed to ask questions about, or do we mm-hmm. not talk about it because we're not allowed to talk about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, Lydia brought to me, um, so, you know, I love your Instagram <laughs> and we've been through, you know, your, all of your resources, but um, the best, best thing is the honeymoon course. And we just would love to know how you came up with this idea um, or this project um, and why you feel it's so important. Yeah. yeah. Well, this one is actually quite personal <laughs> for me. Um, because I, I had graduated with my master's in marriage, family, and developmental psychology with an emphasis in gender and sexuality research before I got married. So, I mean, I was still waiting until sex to have marriage. So I wasn't, did I say until sex to yes. have marriage? Yeah. Until- <laughs> we know what you mean. <laughs> I was still waiting until marriage to have sex. And so I wasn't experienced, (laughs) but I was very educated. And so Mm -hmm. I felt really prepared for my honeymoon. And my husband was very educated also, mostly through me (laughs) and like conversations between Mm -hmm. me and the other grad students that he would be there for, you know, we -hmm. felt really prepared. And even still, so much of our honeymoon and learning to have sex together was such a mess. <laughs> like we felt so prepared and I I have no problem asking all the questions. I asked every question I could possibly think of to my sisters and sister-in-law and to all of my best friends, you know. And I, there were still things that I was like, how did no one tell me this mm-hmm. before my honeymoon? And so after that, I was like Mm -mm, we're not having this. If there is not a way for us to get more prepared for the honeymoon, 
like we're missing something. Like I, I couldn't imagine a scenario where I could have done more. Like I did Mm -hmm. all that I knew to do to get prepared. And there was still so much that I didn't know. And I was like, gosh, if there's still so much, I don't know, as a 28 year old with a advanced degree in this, Mm -hmm. then our Christian brothers and sisters who are getting married quite a bit younger without this education must be struggling so much. (laughs) So we've got to have something for them. So it was pretty soon after I got married, actually, that I started doing research for the honeymoon course. And it took a couple of years before I got it up and running, but I'm pretty proud of it. And I hope that it will be helpful for a lot of couples for a really long time. Mm. So, uh, sorry, Lydia, I just have one more thing for our listeners or maybe um, who pe- uh, people who don't know what exactly is the honeymoon course. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Mm-hmm. It's an, a fully online course that you can take with your fiance. I recommend starting it as soon as you get engaged. Um, but it's just a course that walks you through everything that you need to know to prepare to transition into sexual activity. If one or both of you have waited until marriage to have sex. So we talk all about setting a healthy foundation with your beliefs about sex, your beliefs about consent within marriage, things like that. Um, And then of course there's detailed anatomy discussions. There's a lesson called the talk for adults, which is legitimately in case some people never got the talk, which was true for some of us. (laughs) It's just like the fundamentals of intercourse and the fundamentals of foreplay and sex and we talk about orgasms. We talk about, you know, just clean up after sex, hygiene, all of the things that seem relatively basic, but that a lot of us just didn't know before we got mm-hmm. married and that a lot of couples don't currently know, but need to before they get married. So true. I guess I'm curious, what was like the one thing that you were most shocked about when you first started having sex that you like than you like now have in the honeymoon course. Oh yeah. I think the biggest thing for us was Dallin and I, when we were dating, we were both very convinced that physical touch was our number one love language. Mm-hmm. Like it was a lot of active work for us to wait to have sex until marriage because we really liked each other. I mean, we love more than liked each other, obviously, <laughs> but Like we wanted to have sex so badly when we were dating and for both of us, but for Dallin, especially that desire dropped dramatically, like the day we got married. And I didn't know that that was normal. Now I do because I've read a lot more of the research on that, but that was probably the biggest surprise was just that our desire changed so much when the context changed. And so that that's included in the honeymoon course, how desire might shift when you get married and how to navigate that and what's normal in sexual desire, what's not. That was a big thing. But I would say, I think the other big thing for me was I knew that I would have to learn how to experience sexual pleasure myself. Mm-hmm. Almost all women do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not necessarily as 
common for women, especially women who haven't engaged in a lot of masturbation and sexual like self-pleasure. It's not common for them to know how their bodies can reach orgasm. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I expected that, but I also knew a lot about how to explore that but I was still surprised by how challenging that was for me Hmm. learning, learning about my own body and how my own body experiences pleasure, even though I went into it, knowing how to do that, the actual practice was more difficult. And so I provide a lot of information in the honeymoon course about that as well. And some encouragement for both individuals in the relationship, because it can be really frustrating for both because like my husband really wanted sex to be awesome for me too. And it's discouraging for both of you when you have a difficult time figuring it out. So mm-hmm. I walk couples through that as well. That was probably TMI for some of your listeners, but TMI doesn't really exist for me. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, it's, it's so needed. And especially I think the part about, um, masturbation for women is something that should be talked about more, especially from a Christian perspective and within like the context of, of marriage. And, um, because I feel like that's something that's thrown into the darkness a lot. And like, there's a lot of shame cast around, um, thinking about that or, or, um, or thinking that that might be a possibility or something that you have to learn. And so I feel like that's, that's really important for, you know, people to hear and to be brought into the light, um, or else there's a lot of like confusion, um, in that. So I like that you bring that up. Cause I'm curious just on that. What are your thoughts on like masturbation, like pre-marriage in marriage? Like, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Happy to share. <laughs> I, so, um, first I will say masturbation is one that we don't have really clear direction on in the Bible. Right. Which in my opinion means that we take the information that we do have in the Bible and we do our best with prayer Mm -hmm. and talking to people that we trust. We do our best to create a life that is in line with the teachings, even in areas where there aren't things that are said specifically, Mm -hmm. which means that there will be a lot of varied opinions and ideas and practices in regards to masturbation. And I think that's okay. Before I share my opinion, I think it's important for everyone to recognize that it is your, it's your responsibility to decide what you believe about masturbation and put that into practice. You don't have to believe what I believe or what anyone else believes. This is something that you can work with, um, you know, yourself, your mentors, God, of course, to work out. But my opinion is I've gotten to the place where I believe that sex and sexual feelings are intended to bond us to someone else. Um, I think that God, I say, I think on purpose, because this is an opinion. I think (laughs) that God intended our sexuality to be a relational experience primarily Mm -hmm. because of that. I chose not to engage in masturbation when I was single. Um, But I know a lot of good Christian God-fearing women who do. So again, it's totally up to you. 
But within marriage, almost all women have to learn how to orgasm. It doesn't just come naturally when they Mm -hmm. start having sex and learning how to orgasm when you're on stage, Mm -hmm. like when you're in front of another person, even your spouse who you love more than anyone in the world and who loves you more than anyone in the world, it can be more difficult for you to learn how to orgasm if someone's watching you or if there's like the pressure of gosh I'm taking so long and it's still not coming you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. so for a lot of women masturbation is is a tool that really helps them to explore their own pleasure so that they can connect with their spouse Mm -hmm. in meaningful ways one of the best ways to kill a sexual relationship in a marriage is to have a relationship that is not pleasurable for the wife. So it's in everybody's best interest and will create a really beautiful sexual relationship when the wife knows her body and knows how she experiences sexual pleasure. So because I believe that sex is intended to be relational, if masturbation is being used in a relationship to help with the relational experience, I think it's totally appropriate. That's what I would say. Oh, I love that. I think that's a good explanation and opinion Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Going off of that, do you see a lot of like spiritual trauma that may affect like, um, a sexual relationship within marriage or within couples who are, you know, taking the honeymoon course? Do you, do you see any sort of like, I I guess, um, spiritual fear surrounding these topics? Oh yeah, definitely. In research, it's often called good, good girl syndrome, but it's not just affecting women. It can affect anyone regardless of gender, but a lot of people who grow up specifically in really conservative religions, um, in really conservative Christian denominations, they really struggle often with the transition into sexual activity because they've, they've built up this belief and they're holding on to the belief that sex is somehow inherently bad or dirty or sinful. And especially for women We say that the clitoris is the most sensitive sexual organ for a woman, but the brain is the largest sex sexual organ. Mm -hmm. What's happening in a woman's mind, especially during sex is vitally important to her capacity for sexual pleasure. And so if there are thoughts going through her mind, even if she doesn't want them there (laughs) that are saying like, this is not okay. Sexual pleasure is sinful. I should not be doing this. Then her body isn't going to respond to Mm -hmm. the stimulation or to the sexual context in the way that she wants it to. And so for a lot of couples moving past negative beliefs that they've internalized about sex is a pretty big hurdle. Mm -hmm. And we do address it in the honeymoon course because it's such a big hurdle, but even learning about it in the honeymoon course isn't enough. You have to, you have to do some work to really shift the beliefs. If you still have negative beliefs about Mm -hmm. sex, when you enter marriage. Mm -hmm. And I think doing a lot of that work when you're single can be really powerful. If you're single Mm -hmm. and you believe that sex is dirty and sinful, 
I would start shifting those beliefs now. Yeah. Do you think that um, plays into having like low libido? Oh, yes. Yes. I just finished uh, the whole section for the newlywed course, which is launching in February about navigating low desire and how to Mm -hmm. increase desire or libido. And it's a little frustrating how many things contribute to desire Mm -hmm. because it can feel overwhelming how like trying to figure out how to change it. But beliefs about sex being bad can really impact your desire in negative ways. Mm -hmm. And gosh, it's just, it's almost impossible to have a good sexual relationship when you don't think that a sexual relationship is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned that, you know, desire can change within context and, um, you know, this is something that I feared as like a dating um, woman <laughs> is that, you know, this could be all cool and exciting now, but what about later? And what is considered normal for men and women insofar as having um, low libido or desire in different contexts? Like what should be the normal or like, what is currently happening? Mm-hmm. That is a really good question. The answer isn't as clear cut as we might want it to be (laughs) because we like clear cut answers, but there is no, um, there's no particular frequency or desired frequency that's considered normal for men or for women. The way that a sex therapist or other professional would determine if you have low desire is if you have lower desire than you want. Mm -hmm. That's essentially the whole, (laughs) the whole exam. (laughs) So if you feel like you have low desire, then you have low desire and we can do different things to help you increase it. Mm -hmm. But one thing that we should be aware of if you never, ever, ever want sex. Like if it's not even a little bit appealing to you, that's something that I would talk to a medical professional about. It's not necessarily a problem if that works for your life, but it may be an indication of, um, hormone levels that are off or something like that. So if you have no desire for sex, That might be something that you want to reach out to a professional about similarly. Well, not similarly on the other end of the spectrum, if you feel like your desire for sex is so prevalent in your mind that you have a difficult time navigating your normal day activities. If you have a hard time focusing on work and school and relationships, because your desire for sex is so high, that's also something that I would reach out to someone like a sex therapist about, because it's making it difficult for you to live a normal, healthy life. Other than that, pretty much everything is normal. It's, it's normal for women and men to have high sexual desire, to want to have sex every single day. It's also normal for some women and some men to want sex very rarely. You know, I, I talk to a lot of couples who one of them wants to have sex 
multiple times a week. And one of them would be totally happy if they had sex a couple of times a year, maybe on holidays or something, you know, (laughs) and both of those things are normal. Neither spouse is a problem. The -hmm. problem is that you're frustrated with the current frequency of Mm -hmm. sex, probably both of you. And that's the problem that needs to be addressed and we can address it, but for women and men, low desire, high desire, it's all pretty normal, which is not a clear answer, but <laughs> hopefully that helps. Yeah. I have a I've had a lot of friends who once they get married, again, like the guy's desire to have sex will go down, but theirs is still really high. I'm curious, how would you recommend navigating a relationship where your want your like your sexual desire is like way higher than that of your spouse's? Yeah, this is a personal one for me too. <laughs> I am in that kind of relationship. Um, well, first I would say, especially for women who are the higher desire partner, which again is very normal. That's not something that we hear a lot, but there are so many women who are the higher desire partner in their marriage and there's nothing wrong with her and there's nothing wrong with her husband. Um, but if you are a woman who's the higher desire partner in your marriage, the first thing I would say is you really need to recognize that nothing is wrong. Mm -hmm. I talk to a lot of Christian women who are like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel like, you know, it's not supposed to be like this. I feel so awful for thinking about sex so often. And I'm like, no girl, do your thing. Like you are now in the life stage where sex is awesome for you. Like you can think about it as much as you want to. (laughs) So there's nothing wrong with you. So that would be the first thing is to make sure that you both believe that there's nothing wrong with either of you. It's just difference in preferences. But then as far as navigating it goes, every couple, almost every couple will have a a discrepancy in sexual Mm -hmm. desire. And the goal is to find a frequency where the higher desire partner doesn't feel neglected and the lower desire partner doesn't feel coerced or pressured or guilted into anything that requires a lot of communication, a lot of giving from both partners, but it's important that both partners agree that no is always an option. This is a problem for a lot of Christian couples who interpret certain verses from the Bible that don't actually say that consent ends in marriage, but people interpret it to mean that. Um, So both partners need to be able to say no at any time, but then there will be times for the lower desire partner where they say, you know what? Yeah, I can have sex tonight, even though I'm not totally stoked about it. And there will be times when the higher desire partner is like, you know what? I want to have sex, but you don't. So let's not, what else can we do that will help me to feel connected to you? Mm -hmm. It's just like everything else in a marital relationship. It's just compromise. Yeah. Compromise is a beautiful thing, and I think that uh, that's a big thing that couples who are dating need to um, practice uh, before you know thinking about getting married is is compromise, even if it's on little things because it's going to come in handy. Yes, um, definitely down the road. Definitely, um, I agree. Yeah. So, what would be your biggest piece of advice for couples who are thinking about getting married or about to get married specifically for their sexual relationship or just in like the deciding to get married realm great question i would 
Can you do both? Like, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, first in the decision to get married, this is one of my soapboxes. So you can just tune me out if you don't want to listen to my soapbox on deciding to get married. But I would say this, if you're trying to decide whether or not to marry someone, I would say spend more time with them than you think you might need before you decide. And try to see them in as many different situations as you possibly can before you decide. Um, Unfortunately, there are a lot of really unhealthy Christian marriages. They're unhealthy marriages, no matter what your religious orientation or beliefs are, but because as Christians, we typically date and get married more quickly on average than Mm -hmm. others. We put a lot of faith in someone's religious beliefs, Mm -hmm. meaning that sometimes we don't get to know the person that we want to marry as well as we should, because we're banking on the fact that they're a member of our same faith or they're Christian too. So of course they're going to be kind and, and like Jesus Christ. And of course they're not going to be abusive or manipulative because I'm Christian and I try to be a good person. So of course they're Christian. They're going to try to be a good person too. But unfortunately all of us are imperfect (laughs) and that's not always the case. So I would just make sure that even, even if you find someone of your same faith, who you think has the same values as them date for longer than you think you might need to and see them in a lot of different situations before you decide if they're the one for you. There are a lot of people who bear the name Christian that don't necessarily live lives that look like Christ's life. So that's the first thing I have. I mean, so many immediate family members who are in like the six month club and they have great relationships and they're doing great. So I'm not like throwing shade at anyone who got married really quickly, but if you're still in the phase of trying to decide, I would extend it out a little bit. I think a lot of times Christian couples who are waiting to have sex until marriage feel like they need to hurry because they think they might mess up if they don't. And I just think that attitude puts a lot of, well, I think it takes away from the strength that exists within a couple. Like you've waited this long. You can absolutely can wait another six months, another year. It's not going to all of a sudden be like, we have to get married now, or we're going to make a baby unless you put yourself in those scenarios. And I realize that it's hard. I do. I, (laughs) I've been there, but it's definitely possible to keep waiting. So extend your dating if you can. That's my soapbox on that. My second one is the number one thing I would say for couples who are preparing to transition into a sexual relationship with marriage, especially is not to wait until you get married to educate yourself about sex, even if you're waiting to have sex. I know that it can feel kind of scary to seek out resources, but now there are so many good Christian resources for people 
preparing to transition into sexual activity. There are so many good books and podcasts and Instagram accounts. There's so much information. So I would just take your sex education really seriously. You are now an adult. You're in charge of your own sex education. It's not anybody else's job to have the talk with you anymore. It's now your job. So find good Christian resources and educate the heck out of yourself, even if nobody else did it when you were younger. Well, I guess, especially if nobody else educated you when you were younger. I love your soapboxes. Yes. (laughs) Best ones I've heard. It's so good. (laughs) Emma and I have also often joked about how we like need to get engaged that we can do the honeymoon course because both of us are like we're so curious (laughs) we just want to (laughs) take I know we just want to take the course I'm like all right (laughs) I actually I have people reach out to me pretty regularly saying like hey I'm not engaged yet can I take it I'm like oh yeah when you get it you have lifetime access so like you can take it as a single and then take it when you're engaged I know that that's not for everybody but Mm -hmm. Gosh, I sure did a lot of research before I got married, and I'm so grateful that I did. Yeah, we're so grateful for this opportunity to talk with, like, you and so many other women and men, um, just, like, to hear their research and experience, and it's just been the greatest learning resource, for me at least, but yeah. Yeah, there there really are so many great people doing this it's so encouraging to me I really feel like we're gonna do good for the next generation Mm -hmm. guys (laughs) solid yeah I think like the year before starting the podcast I like really did a lot of research on sex and like Christianity and sexuality and like how all this fits together and so I'm like pretty well read and like well versed in things and I was like I feel like I know a decent amount about sex but then as we've been talking to guests and they say something like that shocks them I was like what like how did I not know this no totally that still happens all the time to me (laughs) or I'll be like reading an Instagram post and I'm like I have never heard that word before yeah no idea what that means there's so much to learn there's so much well thank you so much Carly for joining us on this week's episode it was such a pleasure speaking with you and we just love all the work you're doing as always, if you have any questions or comments or concerns, you can either DM us at theholyship.podcast or you can email us at theholyship.podcast at gmail.com. And the best way to support us is if you either like our podcast, follow it, or leave us a review. So we would so absolutely love if you did that for us. <laughs>